out there, podcast listening people. This is a Strange Talk Podcast. Thank you for listening to it. I hope your week is starting out on a fantastic note. You'll notice that this conversation's a little old. It uh, was recorded in the middle of January of 2021. So that's uh, why some of the references towards the end, as far as uh, they're not very topical at the moment. But, you know, whatever. I hope you enjoy it. As far as I know, this might be the last of the backlog for a bit that we're getting posted. So stay tuned for new stuff. That's right. New conversations that will seem actual topical as far as the references go, even though we'll be still discussing history. That being said, as we're newly on Spotify, I will be posting some older episodes that will be kind of re-releases to really get our new Spotify listeners on board. From there... Big thanks to our friends Pan Astral for allowing us to feature their wonderful music on our little podcast here. On this episode, we are using the uh, excuse me the song "Animal" from their album Suburban Blues. Check Pan Astral out on Bandcamp, SoundCloud, PanAstral.com, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your digital music. Also, please check out our friend Alyssa's business. LittlespruceDesign.com, that's Little Spruce Design plus goods at LittlespruceDesign.com. She's the one that made and lets us use that wonderful graphic you see when you download or choose to listen to our little podcast here. And as always, a big thank you to my partner here, Michelle, for recording this with me, uh, keeping up with this with me, and always bringing the heat when it comes to historical research and just excellent excellent insights and from there thank you to you for listening and i hope you have a great week so yeah, that being said sure. when i opened up my notes from t- first podcast we did on this which yes. is now lost to history because i can't find it um <laughs> where if you can remember kind of what we did on the first one is there a place you'd kind of like to restart i kind of figure we'd just start all over that works for me because i <laughs> that was several weeks ago at this point i honestly don't even remember how that conversation went yep so you know, we'll just call that a practice run. And that was uh, back in 2020. It all the way back in 2020, <laughs> so long ago now. Yeah. So. Can you see Gatsby? Oh, he went away. I keep seeing like a tail. Yep. Like going back and forth behind you. He jumped up for a second. I wasn't sure if you could see him. Oh, did he? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, he'll, be, he'll be joining us this evening. <laughs> he will, and you'll be hear lots of barking, too. As I said, they've been not well-behaved this week. Man, that's all right. Yep. That's okay. Anyways. Could be worse. So, what is our topic this week, Noel? Republican motherhood slash Seneca Falls. <laughs> that's right. I once again, um, I was trying to find that nickname that you keep telling me that Rochester, New York had because of all the like movements and stuff, but I forgot yeah. it and I can't, I you, couldn't find it on the internet. I was like, what, what is you, wrong you with You forgot me? it again? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> it's uh, the burned over district. Yes, that, yes, yep. Yeah. Because they kept like, uh, calling it Flower City. I'm like, no, that's not it. Oh, well, that's kind of a, I think Burned Over District's a much cooler name. It is. But yeah, all of the, all of the social movements and uh, the, those religious uh, movements just set the, the place on fire. I think that's why they called it the Burned yeah. Over District. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But I mean, as far as like women in politics and Seneca, Seneca Falls goes, I guess it's kind of cool that we have a female VP officially now. Yep. For our second chat over over this topic, there are a lot of cool things about. Uh, I know you texted me about this one time where, like, how do we pronounce her name? Is it Ka Kamala, <laughs> Kamala, uh, right. Harris? And yeah, they were uh, talking to people on NPR this week, and like, there's so many different groups of you know not just women but different you know, ethnic subsets who are just super like this, you know this. This means this could happen to anybody. Anybody could be vice president. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it is pretty cool. Like all the different, all the different people that she kind of is able to represent, just from uh, her particular background, her cultural heritage, and uh, you know the story of her family. Uh, it's it's pretty neat. It's it's cool to have a woman, not as the head of the White House, but she's up there. She's in there. Mm -hmm. It's kind of great. Yeah. And I would imagine, at least my thought is, there's a fair amount of drive behind possibly her running for president in 2024 if, say, Biden's mm -hmm. a one and done, like, willingly one and done, or in 2028 mm -hmm. if things go well. And we'll and he see. becomes, like, the oldest man on the planet, you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is why I would not blame him at all for being like, all right, all right, we got this, uh, we got this guy out of office, and yeah. now let's let's move on. Uh, just before I forget, taking us back to well, I didn't say back because technically that's a future podcast where <laughs> uh, we mentioned Snyder's or Timothy Snyder's. Just for people don't know uh, his terms, you know, gamers and breakers. Yes. And so what I was thinking about just kind of broadly with this whole conversation is these women were creators mm. and had to then run into a lot of the men who were at the Seneca Falls conference or men on the other side who were like more so interested in gaming or breaking. Um, mm -hmm. And being creative is hard. Creating things is difficult. It takes you know, actual courage, as does leading. And mm -hmm. I think we find ourselves in an interesting time where right off the bat, the Biden administration is coming under constant criticism from Republicans already for mm -hmm. not being perfect. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait a second here. Like, yes, he, mostly what he's been doing is just like undoing a bunch of the Trump executive orders. But... Mm -hmm. You had a guy that was actively breaking everything, and then a party yeah. that was just gaming and doing, and still is, for the, for that matter, kind of sitting back and waiting to see what other people wanted to do. As with the group mm -hmm. we're talking about now, was going, hey, uh, this we don't really have a, a, a place in this. As I said, um, 
place in this system <laughs> that is made up of mostly gamers and breakers and faced a rather lar lar uh, rather large uphill battle because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they instead of trying to game the system or break the system, they were kind of being like, hey, can we get in on the action here? Can we, can, can we join the game? That yeah. would be cool. That would be really cool. That's, that's all right. Uh, yeah. No, I, re I really like that as, a, as an analogy to kind of segue into this. Because, I mean, if we think a little bit about the history leading up to the Seneca Falls uh, Convention, that was in 1848, the summer of 1848. I mean, like, what, what do you recall, Noel, of, like, women's history and politics leading up to that point? Like, why, why were they wanting to get in on the game? Uh, well, interesting you asked that, Michelle, because uh, we've done this before. Uh, you know, <laughs> kind of the beginning of the Republic with this, as you said, a term that came about much, much later, uh, mm -hmm. Republican motherhood, where you had women like Abigail Adams, who, while they're, as we joked about in the last one, uh, husbands were away getting drunk and uh, fomenting a revolution were having to take care of all the affairs at their household. They, they're doing the business, they're raising the children, uh, oftentimes looking over the crops, uh, mm -hmm. all sorts of fun stuff. And when, hey... Running the, running the business, yeah. trying to figure out how to keep things going. And how many years did you say, in some cases, these men were away doing this? I think with John Adams, it's safe to say, like, a decade plus, right? Oh yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say we could probably collective push it into like the two decade realm, because yeah. <laughs> you know, because he's he's gone for most of the seventeen seventies and seventeen eighties, being part of this new young country, and then they immediately make him a diplomat. And they sent him over to to England and and Europe for several years. Like he was gone for for a long time. Gone asking and, for money. Uh, <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, Abigail's back on the farm, literally uh, raising the children, running the business, corresponding with her husband and, you know, being an intellectual equal with him all at the same time. And um, I'll probably read that, that piece of the letter again, just speaking of mm -hmm. Abigail Adams as like a, a really good example of someone who was aware that women were eventually going to need to be considered in all of this. Um, it's her, her famous letter, Remember the Ladies. That's basically what, what it's called. Um, so this is March 31st of 1776. So Declaration of Independence hasn't been, you know, completed yet. Um, but the war is going on strong already. And she wrote to him, I long to hear that you have declared an independency. And by the way, in the new code of laws, which I suppose it will be necessary for you to make, I desire you would remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. Which is, you know, yeah. just like a brilliant paragraph. She basically warns him, like, if you don't, remember that that women are a part of this that women are important in society and they have uh, roles to play and um, they should be you know represented in, in politics correctly they're gonna they're gonna ask for it eventually yep and it may not be on your terms so you better you better do it now and of course nobody listened <laughs> so 
they kept uh, they kept women out of politics for a long time. Like a lot of things, when you're going, hey, we're gonna improve the system. It's we're going to eliminate some of the things that we don't like, and then just kind of keep it the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um. Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, this was, it wasn't just a time of political change when the United States was forming. It was also cultural change. Remember, we're, we're talking about this region in uh, New England, the north, northern part of what is now New York State, the burned over district. I mean, it was just a really unique place. I mean, what are, can you name some of the social changes and groups that came out of that region? Well, of course, you got uh, probably the most notable one um, would be, I think most people know, Joseph Smith and the Mormons yeah. came out of there. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that was certainly a, a hotbed for, yeah. why is, blah, 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 blah. why is words <laughs> not, let's say anti-slavery, but there's an actual, uh, word for that and A abolitionism abolitionist there you go uh, <laughs> yeah also our boy uh john brown spent some time up that's there that's right and, um yeah had a, born right in the thick of it in 1800 that's right um, and yeah had a wealthy I mean, benefactor from rochester who gave him mm -hmm. money and some land to train his uh would-be militants on and while mm -hmm. also saying, hey, like, no one can farm here. And John Brown went, I'll show you how to farm here. And That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, uh, you know, the Second Great Awakening was kind of changing mm -hmm. how a lot of people thought about Christianity and religion in general. And um, kind of also in that, that northern part of the early United States, we have the Quakers, uh, which, Indeed. you know, a very important in abolitionist movement. Um, but... Uh, I bring them up in particular just because the way they handled religion is very different than how a lot of other branches of Christianity did. And they allowed women to be preachers and women to speak in, in front of congregations, which at the time was not allowed. So, you, you know, it's just this cross section of political, social and religious changes that kind of um, changed how women were thought of in society. Um, before this time period, before the Enlightenment in particular, women were considered, you know, uh, I don't you know, how, how do I want to it. say that? You can say it. <laughs> I mean, uh, to be feared and promiscuous and to be um, subjugated because they couldn't control themselves. They were hysterical. And, yes. you know, and then now with this new country, women are being relied upon <laughs> Um, to handle business and run the farms and not be hysterical. Like they were considered important educators in their children. And that's, you know, that's the concept of Republican motherhood. Like you said, that women were meant to teach their, their young sons how to be good citizens and how to be good participants in this, in this new Republican government. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it only seems logical that eventually they're they're gonna think well if i can teach my children how to participate like why can't i participate too yep as you said uh republican motherhood these are the mothers of the you know next generation of leaders like john quincy adams who are going mm -hmm. to be a little bit more open to this stuff because they spent so much time with these strong mothers and uh not so much with 
angry little fathers who write mean letters to them in adulthood or childhood, actually. But uh, that's right, grumpy John Adams. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is so. This is you know well before Seneca Falls, but in, you know in the early 1800s, we finally start to see schools accepting girls to attend or all female schools opening up, which, you know, is a, hu a huge boon to the whole idea that women should be in politics, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, women going to college and learning to be critical thinkers and to be officially educators in new public schools that are opening up. Um, say, yeah, that was another no, big part, it, the women becoming it, teachers, so increases influence mm -hmm. exponentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I guess, you know, bef before we get to Seneca Falls and the women involved with that, I mean, you already brought it up, really, um, the abolitionist movement. I mean, that that was one of the biggest, the biggest things uh, happening in the early part of the 19th century. People, people trying to come together and figure out how do we end slavery. Who were, who were some of the big players, Noel? I almost gave him the wrong name. We've got Frederick Douglass, obviously. Uh, I almost said yeah. Henry Floyd Garrison, but that's not right. <laughs> uh, William Lloyd Garrison. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> I'm reading a book right now by, I'm trying to butcher his last name. I think it's Peter Weiner, who is a former George W. Bush Stafford speechwriter. And he's oh. kind of like talking about, hey, like these are the things that led Republicans to go to Trump. And not like a in a good way. It's like, these are the mistakes that have been made. Uh, but one of the things like he brings up is because I didn't necessarily think of her as a prominent abolitionist, but uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then. Absolutely. Would you say at this time that uh, it was Maria Stewart kind of predate some of those or is uh are they contemporaries would you say uh so she she definitely would have been a contemporary okay. then i think she was around the same age as lucretia mott um elizabeth Cady stanton uh you know the other mm -hmm. famous woman we'll we'll talk about yeah, she was... she was a little bit younger so maria stewart she she would have been more of a contemporary of that time period for sure and you noted 1831 what uh what in particular about 1831 Oh, that's just when she began writing essays and giving speeches oh, against slavery and all that stuff. And um, yeah, on my list too, I also have. Um, so what? This is what I actually wrote. She had set the stage for the other African American women speakers who followed her, including Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. That's mm -hmm. a lot of names. Sojourner Truth, which you and I talked about, like loving that name last time, and Harriet mm -hmm. Tubman. Mm-hmm. So those, uh, yeah. I think Tubman will probably ring a bell with more people, and mm -hmm. Sojourner Truth. I think most people have a hard time getting that out of their brain now once they listen to this. Just what an <laughs> excellent name, exquisite, if you will. It, it is. It's a it's a divine name. I I would agree with you. I I mean, and the eighteen thirties. I mean, what in I'm finding more and with our conversations that there's so much important stuff that happens in the eighteen thirties. <laughs> 
that just sets up for all the crazy shit that happens in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s. Yep. Which makes total sense. It may, I mean, obviously, you know, the way we think of history is linear. Um, but it's like we don't really talk about the 1830s that much. We kind of gloss over it, you know, like it's like, oh, there's Andrew Jackson. Yep. And then all of a sudden, where you know Mexican War has already happened and all that stuff, so it's it's kind of interesting seeing where, um, you know, the women that would eventually be the members of the Seneca Falls Convention, it it was an abolitionist movement in particular, in the 1830s when they were getting published and they were allowed to speak in at different groups and different meetings and, you know, that's really where this this stuff got started. That's where they got their their experience, I mm -hmm. guess, being politically um just experienced yeah and like organizing all that stuff mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i think i asked you this last time um mm -hmm. but the uh something happened in 1840 do you remember why i uh, i latched on to something that happened in 1840 i don't i feel awful for not remembering <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Don't worry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to quiz you like that. Okay. No, uh, 18, 1840s is uh, particularly interesting because that's when the world's anti-slavery convention happens in oh, London. Oh, yep. Now it's ringing a bell. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And so this this large convention, uh, meeting of the minds of all these people that are against slavery, they go to London and a few of the people invited to speak and to be participants in this, in this convention are Lucretia Mott and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and they were invited. And then once they got there, all the men at the convention said women were not allowed to speak. I remember that part now. Which is, <laughs> you would think before they sent out the invitation, they would have actually talked about that. Yeah. Like, oh, let's invite all these women, but you're not allowed to talk. Like, why would you invite them then? I wonder I if that was something where they sent the invite and someone was like, wait, what did oh. you do? No, 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 we're not letting them speak. <laughs> We're not letting a bunch of loony women come in here and tell us about stuff. Yeah. Come on. We'll let them yeah, come, but wasn't... yeah, don't let them get up and talk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, very famously, 1840 in London is where Lucretia Mott and Elizabeth Cady Stanton really bond and kind of create this this new alliance between them. I think they probably already knew each other just from the abolitionist circles that they they you know, we're kind of running around in for the decade prior to that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's the, this kind of famous anecdote that of these two women, pretty disillusioned, taking this walk through the city of London. And they turned to each other and they decided we got to have our own movement. Yep. The, the, the polite 1840s version of this is bullshit. <laughs> we're going to do something about it. That was their conversation basically that day. Man, I don't know why I don't, because I remember, like, all this part, but I think just the 1840 thing, just like, why is 1840 significant? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that might just be a Michelleism, like a Michelle thing. Like, I, you know, we all latch on to different things when we research mm -hmm. and, and study. So I just, I just really just honed in on this as, like, this, like, spark moment. Yeah. Makes um, sense. And I mean, it, it takes a long time because Seneca Falls doesn't even happen for another eight years. So I think that also demonstrates the difficulty of coordinating stuff like this. 
especially if you were a woman with a bunch of children and husbands mm -hmm. and uh, other things to take care of. Um, I, I, you know, these were real people with real problems, not just lofty political goals. So it took a while before they were able to really put their convention together. And I mean, I don't even remember what was the conversation that we had to, I guess it was me that picked these out. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, I think they, <laughs> I think these were just two of the more famous women involved in Seneca Falls. Yeah, they really absolutely. were the leaders of the convention. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll start with the younger again. So Elizabeth Cady Stanton, born in 1815. And she's, she's considered the primary author of the Declaration of Sentiments. Now, what's the Declaration of Sentiments? It's the document that they came up with uh, at the Seneca Falls Convention. And one of the things yep. I really took from it was they were trying to both kind of model it after the Declaration of Independence, surprise, surprise, and also yeah. to bring up, that's kind of why I brought up uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe, was do so in a way oh. that's like, hey, we're not trying to make anybody feel like we've been wronged. Like, it's not a list of, like, grievances in this case. It's a, like... Hey, we value the same stuff. Like, let's just right? make let's let's be cool about it. Like, guys, come on. Exactly. So it's like, you know, they they explain why they have this convention in the Declaration of Sentiments, kind of doing the bullet point mm -hmm. of problems that they have. But again, they're all like, we don't want to overturn the system. We just want to be able to have participation yeah. and representation in the system. So right now they're creators, but if they get in on the action, they're going to be gamers, mm -hmm. right? Like, <laughs> Which, some foreshadowing, that's where you kind of see some problems come in later. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, she's the main author of the Declaration of Sentiments. And she was born from, surprise, surprise, New York. Yep. Um, a very elite family, grew up with servants, and historians debate possibly even one slave who she had a lot of affection for. Um, so, you know, we can assume that that would have influenced her, um, his willing, her, her willingness to participate in abolitionist ideas. Um, but she excelled at her school that she went through. She was really good at math and science and, you know, in, in debate, she just kind of held her own intellectually while she was growing up. Um, and she had a few brothers, but they all died when they were young. And she told this anecdote of, her last brother dying and she just finds her father completely distressed and in total bereavement. And she tries to comfort him. And all he says to her is I wish you were a boy. Yep. So, <laughs> which uh. is just kind of such a sad story because she, she wouldn't have been able to inherit her family's property or, you know, take over for her father or any of her sisters would have been able to. Um, but yeah, so she was, she was from the burned over district and she had a lot of family members who were part of abolition movements, including a cousin who was part of the Secret Six. Now, does that ring a bell? It does not. Did we talk about this in the last one? We did a little bit, okay. yeah. So the Secret, the Secret Six was the unnamed group of wealthy men that helped fund John Brown's efforts Oh yeah. later yeah, on yeah. out yeah. in Kansas. Yeah, yeah. So she had a cousin who was even part of, you know, John's John Brown's cohort. So, you know, that's, that's the kind of life she grew up with, yep. was with... Uh, you know, other people in the family that, that wanted to end slavery. Wealthy movementarians, if you will. There you go. I like that. Movementarians. <laughs> that's a good word. That's, that's great. 
Um, she got married in 1840 and went to London on her honeymoon. And that was also the anti-slavery convention. So, you know, romance is in the air. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, really made that, that deep connection with uh, Lucretia Maud and other abolitionist folks. Her husband was an abolitionist. They ran in the same circles as Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison, you know, the big players that you had mentioned. And it was in 1847 that they moved to Seneca Falls. So that's probably really the catalyst for the location is just, that's where she lived. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Easier to set up a convention if you just do it in the town you live in. Exactly. So More convenience. And <laughs> Makes sense. You know the area, you've got connections. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So yeah, that's kind of the, the rundown for Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Do you have anything to add? Just a quick questions? note from the last time. It's funny yes, that please. we've kind of essentially now answered this with a like, a, like an intellectual or I don't know if we would call it some sort of construct. I asked, do we have a historical problem where mainly white individuals and groups give up on advancing suffrage once they've achieved it for themselves? And I think uh, we answered that mm -hmm. inadvertently <laughs> since we recorded that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've got too much more to add at the moment because other than I do have on here the whole uh, bleeding Kansas is back baby and <laughs> I don't know if we want to get like ahead of this here but I do want to make sure that you mention how bleeding Kansas ends up coming back to kind of haunt the women's suffrage movement much like it did actual abolition yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, uh, leading Kansas, I mean, it just, it just, <laughs> it's everywhere. It <laughs> like, is. It's so, it's so important. And all it, all it did accomplish was really just causing problems that eventually leads to the Civil War. And, uh, yeah, it's back, baby. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I like yeah, that. as well as, uh back in real life too where you have political violence and a party that's not really willing to uh well they're okay with fomenting it but when it actually happens they go oh, oh, oh that's not what we meant yeah 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 that's 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 not the violence we meant no we, we just uh we have no problem with creating an environment or at least not stepping in to lead people out of environment that's rich in uh i told my wife this this week they've uh flooded the zone with anger and uh, untruthfulness and then seem mm. surprised that oh how did this happen <laughs> yeah yeah you keep making people angry enough that they're gonna rise up and then when they do you act all shocked you know you Both don't have current. the uh courage to actually lead and you sit back yeah. and either join in the breaking or game to see how the breaking can help you. That's right. Looking at you, Mitch McConnell, you know, <laughs> I can't remember who the person that said it, but there's something from like the French revolution where someone is looking upon a group of re revolutionaries and goes, there are my, there are my people. Now I must follow them to lead them. It's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think we have to go back. To, I mean, there's gotta be more stuff to discuss. Cause I feel like, you had like bullet points from the Declaration of Sentiments last time. 
yeah, yeah. Well, and I want to I want to get to Lucretia Mott real quick oh, too because yes, I yes. think she's kind of she's kind of the the cooler of the two. No offense to Katie Stanton. I agree with you. Um, but uh, yeah, so Lucretia Mott, a little bit um, older than uh, Stanton. She was born in 1793. So she, um, her 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 life just really overlaps with the antebellum era just mm-hmm. kind of start to finish in a lot of ways. Um, but she was a Quaker. And so, as we mentioned earlier, Quakers kind of handled how they do their preaching differently, which is, you know, pretty cool by comparison to how a lot of other churches handled it. But she was really known for her speaking abilities. Um, Stan, uh, Katie Stanton was kind of the writer of the two and Ma was known for being the, the one that could get up in front of a crowd and really talk well. Um, she was from uh, Nantucket, Massachusetts, and she's a distant con- cousin of Benjamin Franklin, just hmm. throwing that in there just yep. because I can. And <laughs> she <laughs> she was educated at a school run by Society of Friends, which is um, another way to, you know, acknowledge the, the Quaker um, societies. Uh, she became a teacher after graduating, and she, then when she got that job teaching, she learned that the male teachers earned more money. Mm. And she wasn't she wasn't too stoked about that because they did the same job, right? Yep. Oh, that, um, and that's so, been solved since, though, right? Oh no, it it, it's it's been solved for a long time. I really don't even know why I bring it up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's allegedly what really sparked her her interest in potentially women's rights and in politics. Uh, she met her husband at the same school. They moved to Philadelphia. Um, she was officially ordained the Quaker minister in 1821. So again, getting more of that, that speaking ability under her belt. And she, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, we can really relate to this in a lot of ways, but she really tried to put abolition into her daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, the products that she chose to use and wear and purchase uh, reflected her, her stance against slavery. So she didn't want to use anything that was made of cotton cloth or cane sugar so like no slavery related products which i think is um you know that's that's definitely a recognizable uh way to live life because there's a lot of people who do make those types of choices today so i think that's really easy to recognize um and kind of uh, amenable because that's not easy to do it's really it's not it's not easy to make choices like that um, in your day-to-day life right gatsby that's myrtle <laughs> but still Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's got quite the deep bark. I never would have guessed do. that was her. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, 1833 joins the American Anti-Slavery Society with her husband, and she's the first woman to speak in front of that group. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then she founded the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society shortly thereafter. And what was really interesting about that was she was also known for really preaching to mixed race groups, which was really not crowd pleasing as far as like the broader American culture. Mm-hmm. Went. Uh, white people and black people hanging out was uh, really frowned upon. <laughs> and uh, she would often um, open her home to fugitive slaves as well. So she was just like a brave lady. She just mm-hmm. she had her principles and she wanted to follow through with them. And, you know, I feel like we don't know her name quite as well as some other uh, women in, in the movement, which is kind of a bummer because she's she's kind of a cool cat. Oh yeah. Um. Uh, pretty pretty brave new breed of Republican mother, I think. You know. I'm with you, and I ended up jotting down a lot more notes about her. You've covered all of them, <laughs> uh, plus <laughs> some. 
than I did for Stanton. Um, and a note about mm -hmm. you saying like preaching to mixed a group, you know, mixed race groups. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not even going to try to guess because I always guess probably guess wrong the amount of greats <laughs> as far as the relationship goes. Uh, but my wife's ancestor is Julia Ward Howe, known I, I mentioned I hear a thousand times, known for writing hey, the. Uh, lyrics to Battle Hymn of the Republic, which, uh, what else is interesting about the Battle Hymn of the Republic there, Michelle, involving oh, the person it, we've talked about? Yeah, it, sh it shares the the melody with John Brown's body. It sure does. Uh, <laughs> at one point in her life, I don't think, I think she moved on from it, while she was an abolitionist, mm. did not believe in integration anyway. She kind of had that gross... Mm belief that blacks were inferior even if they did deserve equal well, equal rights but they still weren't the same right like, so there that was pervasive it was and that's just a truth that needs to be acknowledged mm -hmm. like just because uh, somebody was an abolitionist at the time does not mean that they really believed in racial equality but they certainly recognized the evils of slavery it's a you know it's a complex topic yep. so and it's, shall I shall I say our favorite word? Nuance. Nuance. That's right. And <laughs> one of the things we talked about uh, again in a future podcast. Like you mentioned it a lot. And I've, I've had it on my mind this week. Is this idea of a reckoning? And you know, it it will come either way. And you can be a part of your own reckoning by, by mm. admitting it. Or in this case, it's like we're not and we're not saying that my wife's ancestor was a bad person. We're just saying mm. nuance there. Everyone had some flaws and you just, by not saying that flaws exist, I think we do everybody a disservice uh, mm -hmm. by not acknowledging facts and respecting that people mm -hmm. can actually hear this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. That's, that's a, a disservice um, in the way that it's a disservice to just completely make heroes out of the founding fathers too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hiding, hiding the, or not discussing kind of the, the more uh, uncomfortable parts about a, a person. It, it just, that's just something else we can learn from. So it's important to, to talk about that stuff. As we've said a thousand times, uh, denying someone's flaws is denying their humanity in a sense. It's yeah. yeah. Even if they're mm -hmm. a hero, it's, there's still some uh, some bruises and mm -hmm. not at least mentioning those and saying like maybe that's what caused some of the bad things they did. Mm. Yep. 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 I agree with you. I I'm uh, <laughs> I'm really excited, although it's probably gonna be what a few months, even closer to summer by the time we get to the uh, whole ERA thing. Because mm -hmm. I feel like it's worth noting that these women, I probably both Stanton and Mott, but really, well, probably just about everybody who attended the uh, Seneca Falls convention, they may not have been necessarily like all of the same like political beliefs or party. And mm. you know, up until ERA, there really was kind of a bifurcation of women in different political parties. And so this whole idea, oh, it's it's always been a liberal thing. No, um, just as one party, you know, used anti-ERA sentiment as a populist 
motivation, it drove women more and more towards, not saying all women are liberals, that's silly, but um, drove them more and more to one particular party than another. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> but I would imagine most of the attendees at this point were, even though Republican Party wasn't necessarily a thing, were at least right. were, were abolitionists to some extent yeah. or another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you, if, if that might just be the easiest way to think of it mm -hmm. is, you know, being anti-slavery is being like a liberal sentiment. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right that it wasn't, there were, there were conflicting political views just even within the Seneca Falls convention. So we, you know, we often think about that as being this, this grand statement to represent all women. Hey, we should get the vote. And that's really not, not the case. And that's something that I didn't realize until we were kind of researching for this, for this discussion. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the declaration of sentiments that came out listed, you know, I don't even know how many, like two dozen two dozen bullet points, something yep. like that. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of them had to do with how women were being treated and how women were not allowed to inherit property um, in, in a lot of, you know, circumstances. So there were a lot of, like, practical concerns that were involved there, but not all the women that went to Seneca Falls wanted women to get the vote, mm -hmm. which, you know, is just yeah. kind of kind of surprising because that's how we think of it as we think about it as these were the precursors to the suffragettes the following century and that was all about getting the women's right to vote um but seneca falls was was um more broadly about you know social and religious uh kind of common law situations that they thought were unfair and uh didn't represent women even though they were subjects to all of these laws um, but, you know, uh, many women at the, at the at, you know, and the convention was pretty small. I think at most it had like 300 people in attendance mm. and about a third of them were men. So there weren't even all women there, but a lot of people worried that if they, if they put it into the declaration of sentiments that we should get the right to vote, that's all the men who were in power in politics would be worried about. And they would just completely ignore all of the other concerns that they were trying to address. So there was a big controversy there at, at the convention. We should just leave it out. We'll get the vote later, yeah. but that's not the purpose of this convention. And other women were like, no, no, no. The purpose of this convention is to get all of these problems fixed, including the right to vote. Um, they did eventually put it in there. I think it is in there that they wanted the ability to vote. Yeah, they wanted to be enfranchised. But that was, that was the most controversial point. That was the that was the point in the declaration that was least likely to make it there, which I thought was mm. really interesting. Yeah. And um, at the at the final convention vote, one of the strongest supporters for women's right to vote was Frederick Douglass himself. And um, you know, at him being the most famous man um, at the time in the country, probably when he spoke, people did listen. And one of the things that he said at the convention was that if women were not enfranchised, he would not want to be enfranchised either. Mm. He, he kind of made this expression that 
we all should get the right to vote. And so I am here in support of women getting the right to vote, even if it means I don't get it right now. We should all get it or none of us should get it, which I thought was uh, pretty cool. Yeah. As we said, that's uh, courageous. That's offering leadership. And I, I mean, I guess with that, we can kind of segue too. So we know the convention published the Declaration of, of Sentiments, and it was pretty controversial at the time. Um, and I think just historically, it very quickly was overwhelmed with concerns about slavery directly and into mm-hmm. the Civil War. So it, it created a lot more um, participation of women in um a women's rights movement, but it, I wouldn't say a whole lot came out of it. Um, I believe there were some laws that were changed about property ownership and, you know, stuff like that. But obviously women weren't, you know, blanketed um, equal rights with men. Um, but but what kind of happened with the women's movement after the Civil War? I think my recollection is it kind of fractures. Um mm whether it be because like Lucretia Mott, as you said, uh, strenuously objected to the fact that uh, the 14th and 15th amendments of the constitution granting the right to vote to black men, but not women was, Hey, what Mm -hmm. in the, what in the world's going on here? And um, I feel like after, well, we can debate (laughs) how uh, much abolition actually existed. I mean, mm. certainly just took a few short years. Uh, and we're, it's back in the news now, the whole uh, Jim Crow stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, my yeah. recollection is that kind of at that point you saw some of, I feel like maybe Stanton and Mott kind of going and not opposite directions, but not, no longer being like kind of side by side and kind of mm-hmm. splitting apart and doing slightly different things. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. I believe so. Yeah, I think that their relationship was definitely fractured um, by black men getting the right to vote, which I think is just so unfortunate. Like, it's mm-hmm. really sad to think about like these, <laughs> you know, these women that we're, uh, we're speaking of with such admiration and giving them credit for their bravery. And, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of, it's kind of disappointing to think about what happens after the civil war mm-hmm. where they are dissatisfied and angry that black men get the right to vote before them. And, um, I think it kind of maybe shows that abolitionism does not equal race equality, mm-hmm. um, as you said before. And, you know, these, you know, you get someone like Frederick Douglass standing up for you saying you get the right to vote and then when he gets the right to vote first you don't stand up with him that's really sad to hear yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's disappointing to say the least but you know uh, women's women's rights uh, you know that's still hotly contested today and after the civil war again i think there's a lot of things that kind of overwhelm it as a movement it being fractured it's harder to make things happen when you're divided amongst yourselves. And, uh, you know, there was also like the temperance movement and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Women's vast participation in temperance was, you know, extremely successful because it eventually created prohibition. Yep. And you can talk about whether that's a success or not, which, 
it's not though. Um, but that was their goal, and they they accomplished that, you know. <laughs> True. Um, and I guess if nothing else, you if nothing else, uh, Republican motherhood, Seneca Falls, all that just drove more and more movements. Yes, mm-hmm. they may have been like in different orbits and doing different things, but you know, mm-hmm. I think certainly keeping movements that are mainly based around women is obviously a net positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe Republican motherhood is still just, it's not a historical concept. I think it's still a very real concept yes. now. And uh, we don't talk about it in those terms. We don't talk about it as like a modern phenomenon, but I think it's still there. I think it's still very, very real, but it's obviously looks a little different. I have in my notes from the last time, uh, why must women focus on teaching possible fail sons the virtues that advance Republicanism when they cannot do it themselves? Like, hey, uh, it's like a game of te- like a telephone. Like the mm-hmm. <laughs> if you if you have the original message, you might be better off sending it than giving it to someone else just because they you know have the right. Uh, well, as my mom would say, not just the right like look, but the right features. You know, the oh, whole, like, yeah. tall, deep voice, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's not even just kind of this in, in inert, inherent, whatever you want to call it, uh, sexism, it's this, we have it in our heads how politicians and leaders should look, mm-hmm. and when it's just a subset of one sex and not anything else, like, that's, that's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot recently is just this whole, uh, you know, back to the whole creators and gamers and breakers is we're at our best when we're, say, competition for ideas. And mm. all these groups, they have ideas. I mean, yeah. agree with them or not, but they're not going around going, man, these women are asking for extra rights, which has always been like a, what? What are you talking <laughs> about? Like, how is equal rights extra rights? <laughs> well, we already opened the doors for him. What in the hell are you talking about? Like, yeah. <laughs> do you? Well, my dad did. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, we we see it too among women because there's... Very true. There's still plenty of women who have very traditional values that they see for themselves. And yeah, that's great. That's mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's fine. And other women who don't see that for themselves. And again, that's great and that's fine. Yep. So why are we arguing with each other what it means to be a woman? Like, you, everybody should be able to do what they want instead of uh, placing your values on somebody else. And just because someone gains equality or gains more rights doesn't mean that any of yours are taken away. And uh, it's, it's not a, you know, uh, what's the uh, zero-sum zero game? Zero-sum game, yeah, exactly. That's what I was looking for. It's not like there's there's plenty there's plenty of freedom to go around. Everybody, calm down. Just yep. There's something, in, you know. Obviously, we're still trying to wrap our heads around it now. Where yeah, just this idea that I mean, there are people that if they were to listen to this conversation would go, well, what about how I feel? Okay, let's let's talk about that. Why do you feel that way? What do you mm-hmm. think? Like, what do you want to happen? What do you think mm-hmm. this will, will happen to you if, if this happens? But mm-hmm. they don't ask themselves that question. And if we try and ask them that question, 
that can also go like turn into an argument as opposed to like no i'm honestly trying to empathize with you mm -hmm. and there's just something that's not working there uh mm -hmm. this idea of hey i'd like some equal rights too what mm. what are you saying like <laughs> i'm saying exactly what i said what is this I guess... is this a dig at me like is this does yeah. this challenge my power like yeah. are you saying that i have some sort of thing i should not have it's like that's a thing I don't know how to crack. I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's a difficult conversation to have because I think what we're really talking about are like culture war yep. questions. And uh, that's, you know, it's a, you know, changing the law or changing somebody's access to political participation is not an attack on you. Not exactly, you know, like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I think I phrased that that badly. Um, but, you know, we've, our, I think our entire lives have just been culture war. Noel, like. <laughs> gaming and breaking. Yeah, gaming and breaking. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to wrap your head around sometimes. I've been trying to, I've been trying this out more and more on some friends. And, like, I don't, I think most people probably don't talk politics at work because, you know, you, you have to deal with these people. So why would you separate mm -hmm. yourself? Plus, mm -hmm. you know, when you're at work with them all day long, which is, I guess, the other reason why 2020 was probably so much worse was that no one's actually seeing each other. Like, mm. maybe you are a few people, but, like, you're not traveling anywhere. You're not, like, actually... Uh... Oh, yeah, that buddy of mine from work who was like, let's do beer soon. And I'm like, dude, I haven't had a beer at a restaurant since February of 2020. Like, that was the last time. Like, we drove to uh, Leavenworth, Washington, and I got mm -hmm. a text that uh, they had locked the doors to the office because of COVID and had a beer that night, drove home, and that was it. Like, that was the last time. And it's just like, yeah, so, uh, but how do we then still try to find ways to, as I said, like, get these ideas? And my most basic thing I've been trying right now is, do you... Do you or do you not believe in equality of opportunity? And I don't think any person would really say no because they realize how kind of silly that sounds. But then mm -hmm. you ask, like, well, does that exist? Uh, and this is where I think the biggest dichotomy exists mm. is that there are a lot of people that will tell you that it everybody's equal right now. Like, you just work hard enough. But history it's and like the laws don't bear that out <laughs> sorry go ahead no no that's it. it it just made me think of there's been several iterations of this but like those those cartoons that show the kids standing at the fence trying to look over the fence mm -hmm. like to watch a ball game or something and one's really tall and one's really short and one is disabled or something and it's like do these all do they all have the same opportunity no, so we gotta we gotta lift some of them up. Give give this person a boost. Give this person a lift, you know. And then maybe we'll all be at equal opportunity because not everybody starts at the same place that you do. Nope. And maybe you start lower than other people, and you you know, so you should get a boost too. Like I didn't this idea that you know if you just pull your bootstraps hard enough, everything will work out. And mostly, what I hear like, that from is I'm not working out for the ninety nine point nine percent of us out there. Well, most of what I hear that from are people of my own, well, 
they, they look and they have this like, like me they have the same background as me they probably have the same you know economic circumstances as me it's like Mm-hmm. Is that does, so? Are we saying that there was the same equality of opportunity? Because to me, that sounds like you and I had it, but mm-hmm. or you're saying that we're just more successful because of something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a uh, to go back for a second to the whole creators and gamers and breakers. And I was thinking about this more and more with today's politics. Like you said, you know, we have culture wars and populism that's feeding certainly I would argue one side more than another like I'm not going to go like the whole both sidesism thing because that's silly mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah what you have there is I was thinking about that uh, episode of The Office where Michael goes on his weird like what nature man or survivor man thing <laughs> to show that he is tougher than Toby and Jim and takes over. suit apart yep. and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so Jim takes over as interim manager, essentially. And rather than doing, you know, birthday cake for everybody's birthday on every day, tries to do it for like everyone in the month, and does the whole thing of, this is a good idea, and this is a group that likes good ideas, and they hate it. And Michael yeah. comes back and like goes, yeah, I tried the same thing and didn't go over well. And just thinking about that, it's like, well at least you're trying something like you're going, all right, I'm not going to assume that my voters are forgive the term complete dumbasses. I'm going to <laughs> give them something that I think is a good idea and see what they say. They're not always going to like it. Uh, yeah. you know, in the case of the Republican base, which everyone is so afraid of right now, as we've said, like you've just beat them over that head with uh confirmation bias with mendaciousness with anger with grievance uh in the case of evangelicals what that uh peter wainer writes is rather than politics sorry religion informing people's politics they've gone the other way they've tried to make politics inform religion and it's really just f things up so i was just thinking about that it's like like yeah you're always gonna have success when you're going all right listen I have an idea. I think you're smart enough to get it. Ah, like, but don't stop trying to do that. Like, learn yeah. from it. Inform your next decision. Don't keep going. All right, let's do a birthday cake every day. Like, we've done the analogy probably so many times here. It's like, hey, have some broccoli. No. Okay. Here's some more heroin. Then, like, there's <laughs> there's other ways to go. <laughs> Let me just mainline Trump's Twitter into your arm. <laughs> hey, let's try it. Which you can't do yeah. anymore. Hooray. Uh, which I think most people were guessing was going to happen pretty quickly after he wasn't president. They're saying, oh, yeah. it's in the public interest because he's the president. Okay, now he's just a private citizen essentially retweeting calls for violence. Like, this is this breaks our mm-hmm. terms of service. <laughs> that's right oh man asking you like every day like when i was doing those little like notes write-ups like what are you reading right now and we could just add a a segment to this too where we have the what are you reading right now jesus christ um now the cat is crazy behind you i know i saw the cat in there (laughs) yep so now 
I told my wife to take all three of them when she went up to her parents today, but... <laughs> she didn't agree with you, did she? <laughs> no, but to be fair, like, I was kidding, and also th they'd have this with more people, less space, like... Yeah, it And another dog <laughs> thrown in the mix. It's like, it's too much. Oh, great, yeah. yeah. So, obviously, I've said what I've read, which is... Well, I guess the author... The book is... I have it right here. Uh, hey, there it is. The Death of Politics. How to Heal Our Frayed Republic After Trump. And I think I told you about this, that for Christmas, one of the many generous gifts my mother-in-law got for me was she went on to one of my little like notes I'd been writing where I'm like, hey, I'm reading this. Hey, or like I mentioned mm -hmm. I'm reading this. And plugged that into Amazon and then went... You know, other people have enjoyed this. So it's like... That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm reading. What about you, Michelle? Um, I've been reading textbooks all week, which textbook. is not, not <laughs> fun. Uh, so I'm still I'm still working on The Weight of Ink. Uh, did I mention that one to you yet? I think you texted it to me, like you were reading it, but not anything okay. else about it. Yeah, and I still haven't cracked it too much. Again, I've been kind of distracted reading other things. Um, but it, it's it's going to be an interesting read. I, it was recommended to me by our good friend, Brittany Hager-McNeely. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my former history professors, uh, she really enjoyed it as well. And it, it kind of flips back and forth in time between like the early 2000s and like, I forget what the day was. Like the, it was like the 15th century or 14, 16th century. I don't know. Anyways, these, these documents are found in somebody's old house that were written by a rabbi hundreds of years ago. And it's about the, this historian who's trying to figure out what the documents are about. So it should be kind of cool. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward yes. to uh, what you get out of it going forward so we can talk about it here. Um, Mm, yeah. I need to select... Which makes me want to read it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh... I need to read it. <laughs> that was one of the things I'm sure you enjoyed that too about being a uh, liberal arts major, whatever you want to call it, where, or humanities, uh -huh. is even when I was in school, like, yeah, I had a lot of math and stuff, but like, I got to read mm -hmm. a lot of Hobbes and like history and. Mm hmm. Even weird stuff like, uh, oh, I can't, not, it's not weird, but like Francis Fukuyama and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, this is stuff I'm actually mm -hmm. interested in too, as apart from like, it's just for school. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it was harder than trying to fit in another book on top of all that stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. Good thing of the week. I'm going to ask you to go first because I'm kind of scram bambling because I, it's not that I had a bad week or there was nothing like good. It's just, you know, Michelle, I'm always no, trying to think of something good. that's like more than just, Hey, I enjoyed this this week. <laughs> well, I mean, well, while we were getting set up tonight, I was like, Oh, I better get my good things of the week put together. So I'll go first. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> I was thinking about those before we even got on the call. Um, so number one, good thing of the week, Trump is no longer president. <laughs> you stole that's a huge good thing. <laughs> I took it away from you because I knew you would say it too. Yeah. So it's fine. We both we both think that's a good thing of the week. 
Uh, and then I've got I've got two more more personal. Yeah. Um, I started school again, so that's pretty cool. It's it's kind of challenging. I have a lot of new respect for people who have been dealing with education online for this past year because it's hard. So go with that. But it's nice to be in school again. I really miss learning <laughs> instead of just working all day and then coming home exhausted, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but my other really good thing of the week, it's in a couple of days, but it's Pete's birthday this next week. So happy birthday to my love, Pete. So. Happy birthday, Pete. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely in the uh, Trump just being out of office. There's obviously a lot of things to work on here. I'm not necessarily in the board like, oh, <laughs> speaking of heroes, uh, Michelle, like Biden's going to fix everything. It's like, no, there's there's oh, way too know, many right. things to fix. Just getting the chief breaker out of office and mm -hmm. off of social media. And also, my thought is that the Republicans are so cynical that if they're smart, mm -hmm. they'll try and pin all of the sins of these past four years of Trumpism to Trump himself, mm -hmm. even though right. they created the problem themselves. But yep. I, I'm hoping that even that cynicism will lead to Trump going away faster and really, yeah, it might move to something else, but at least this kind of going somewhere. Um, quick quick yeah, aside, yeah, yeah. and this, this is total nerddom, I don't know if you'll remember this or if anybody who listens will remember this, but uh, like 20 years ago, there was a mini series um, on TV called Merlin. And it was with Sam Neill from Jurassic Park. Why does that ring a bell? And Martin Short was in it. It had like this great cast. Ritka Heuer was in it. Anyways, when I was thinking about Trump leaving office, I was like, oh, it's going to be like Queen Mav on Merlin who is the goddess of old things and she keeps causing trouble. And they were like, how do we get rid of her? And it's like, you just quit thinking about her. Yep. And then she goes away. And that's eventually how they defeat evil in this mini series is just quit giving the bad person attention because yep. that's what they feed off of. So you're absolutely right. If the GOP is going to weasel the way out of getting blamed for the last four years, they need to pin it on him and then quit talking about him. Yep. That's the only way they're going to save themselves at this point. That's a good analogy. And, uh, just stop giving him it oxygen. Was a little, it was a little, it's a stretch, but thank you. I, I appreciate it. I liked it. <laughs> My second good thing of the week, and I always kind of cringe when it's work-related, but uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, past couple weeks have been transitioning to, rather than like me running my own business unit uh, and it's almost all, or she is all construction at this point. Mm -hmm. Going, hey, we've got these other construction business units too. And all three managers have different, n no one says this, but they all have like, I think the thing they're trying to say is different abilities. And mine mm. is, I've been able to essentially grow this business by being behind a computer and talking on the phone. Because it's COVID, so you can't really go out and talk to anybody. Plus, what I hated doing was when I first started, driving around to different job sites, getting an order, but having people call me while I'm driving back or driving someplace mm -hmm. else to try and place an order. So it's hard to do my own sales while driving mm -hmm. sales, which, you know. So now I am the 
essentially inside sales and supply chain person for this new business unit, which is four of us. And mm -hmm. so I, have a, I have actual specialty, which I'm, as my boss says, a sourcing guy. Then there's someone who's more known for being a manager and I've worked with her before. So we're already having fun. And then there's a guy who's been doing this for like 30 something years, as far as just construction. Oh. And he's the guy that's going to be going to the job sites because he's great at it. And while he's not bad at the inside and like the computer operations part, he's not as uh, willing to figure it out as I am. We'll say that that, that nice way. Like, <laughs> he curses sure. more than I do at the computer. <laughs> so it's, it's not uh, his cup of tea. Yes. is what you're saying. It's been nice to be on, and I've worked with him before too. So it's nice to be on okay. a team with these people. Um, the guy handling the operations. I've worked with him almost since I started with my company. Mm -hmm. and it was just, it was a nice week to like not have to try and scramble to do so many things and see our Good. sales grow rapidly. Like, and long story short, it also means more money. So that that's always good. <laughs> <laughs> you are in business. So yeah, money is involved. <laughs> yeah, and especially right now when, I mean, it, yeah, I don't get too much, too much, but construction for my company has been an overlooked market for a while. Mm -hmm. So this is mm -hmm. an opportunity to challenge ourselves and really make it happen and show everyone else what we can do. So that's my long work-related second good thing of the week. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Did you, by chance, watch much of the inauguration? I was curious. I did not watch any of it. <laughs> Oh, All okay. I really saw was we were working, so. yep, people sending the uh, cold Bernie memes. It's, yeah, it's great. And I keep been... having people to be like, this is the last one. I'm like, no, don't say that to me. Keep sending that. <laughs> <laughs> the last one. No, it's not. No. And, no, and don't not. tell me that because I want more. Like, I want more. Yeah. I want more Bernie. <laughs> it's great. Well, thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Noel.